0: Everybody's all fired up on the positive power of positive thinking, and and this is great, but in the mountains, I found the positive power of negative thinking to be much more useful. And this idea, this Buddhist idea of seeing things as they are, that's really important to me.
1: Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Afterglow. I'm Brendan Madigan, your host... And this is the third episode with the most accomplished ice climber of all time, Will Gadd. I'd like to sincerely thank everyone for listening to the first two episodes of the show. The response has been overwhelmingly positive, and we've really been humbled at how stoked people are. Putting the Afterglow endeavor out there to the world has been one of the more intimidating things in my life. So to hear the love from all of you is tremendously fulfilling. Thank you. So Will Gadd. I was lucky enough to spend two whole days with Will in December of 2016. At the time, I had only read about him in magazines and seen his ice-climbing feats online. He was slated to be the second speaker at our Winter Film Series, and flew in from Canada through the generous support of our friends at Arcteryx. Upon meeting Will, I was instantly struck by his huge smile and amazingly positive vibe. It was obvious to me that he was welcoming and warm, and I knew instantly that our time together was going to be special. Going into our interview, I hadn't really dialed in the Afterglow model. I was kind of winging it and nervous about it, and I had definitely never sat down with someone of Will's stature. But I believe in serendipity, and Will turned out to be an absolutely amazing guest. For those of you who aren't familiar with Will, he's been pushing the envelope in endurance sports for over 30 years. He is tremendously accomplished in ice climbing, paragliding, and kayaking and is perhaps most well known for his ascent of the rarely frozen Niagara Falls. I was interested to sit down with Will to talk about the motivations behind his amazing accomplishments. So here it is, our third Afterglow with Will Gadd.
2: we talked about this a little bit last night, but we'll, what what was your take on your show in our community last night?
0: Well, Squaw and, and Tahoe are one of the epicenters of <clears throat> mountain culture and people in the world. Obviously, <clears throat> excuse me, swallowing coffee. I can climb, but I can't swallow coffee. Um, so it was a great show last night in, in terms of the room and people were stoked. I don't think I've ever dealt with an audience that was just so psyched right off the bat. It was a little bit scary. You walk out there and people start cheering and you haven't done anything. It's worrisome, you know? <laughs> Signs of instability in the audience. <laughs> but it was awesome. They were really stoked and, and good people, good show. And and it is nice to be here in one of the places in the world that is an epicenter of of all things mountain. Yeah, yeah, super
2: fun. I mean, I think in the, gosh... 15 years or so of, of seeing presenters, seeing athlete presenters and and uh, seeing them in front of a living room crowd to a, a huge audience of 500 plus people, um, I can I can definitely say last night it was the most entertaining, the most in, engaged the crowd was and, and how much, the, the, there was so much laughter, right? <laughs> Which I think really speaks to the, the power of your show.
0: You wow, well, that's awesome. Thank you. That yeah. means a lot because you, you have seen a lot and and I do try to do a good good show i I sweat bullets before especially the shows like that in a mountain culture kind of place right in front uh, of doers yeah in front of doers this is this is my community as well you know it's a different place but these are the people that have made decisions to live in a mountain town which is not easy yeah you know it's hard it's 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 a competitive place everything's difficult here and you gotta want to live here so these are those are the these are my friends you know they're just living in a different place and and it's harder to do that I can say whatever the hell I want in front of a corporate show. and Nobody's going to correct me, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> I was really nervous last night, but it was it was such a great audience.
2: Yeah, super fun. And I think you know, the people coming out in those kinds of numbers, obviously, they know you as a athlete, right? And I mean, shit, I've read magazine articles about you since I was in college, you know, getting into mm-hmm. climbing. Which and now you're sitting in my living room, which is. Super rad, um, and just hanging out with you as a human. But I think there's there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of power in that tribe, right? And yeah. you can you can, it's kind of that strip mall analogy where you can pick yourself up and drop yourself in another mountain community, and the, the people are. Different but the same. Huh, right? I like
0: the po- it's a positive strip ball analogy. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Because <clears throat> there's not very many like mountain mountain strip ball towns. <laughs> yeah, in that, but, hopefully you know? not right. Yeah. There's, well, there's really not. This is this is definitely one of them here in, yeah. in the Tahoe area for sure. Yeah, and I'm sure you have
2: the same in your in your hood too, and growing up in Colorado too, right? Um, but I think uh, I'm interested in the storytelling aspect of it. Like, obviously, mm-hmm. you're an amazing athlete, a rad athlete, and and you're athletic feats speak for themselves, but how how do you go from being an athlete you know and you've been in the industry a long time, a lifer for sure right, yeah. <laughs> to, or, yeah. to becoming that storyteller and then obviously being able to tell a story that resonates and connects with people? I mean, has that been a an, an evolving process for you?
0: Yeah, <clears throat> I mean, I've always been interested in words and, and people and places and and how those things come together and form a story. It's, you know, it's everybody tells stories. You get in the bar, you have a few beers. So there I was, right? Yeah. <laughs> there, it goes from there. But I, I think, I think a lot of our community, especially is defined by our stories more than maybe other communities of, of people because they're harrowing and they're powerful and, and they're exciting and they're, they're literally life and death and hanging by your fingernails doing stuff. And so our, our community tends to get both shaped by its stories and create these stories that are really, really cool. And I I like trying to share those stories in in my own way. And then also inject some, a little bit more of, I would almost call it reality, into my shows to try and encourage people to stay alive and and keep doing great things. (laughs) Tell the great stories, inspire people, but I I do try to gently wield a baseball bat and encourage people to, you know, settle down a bit and and do these things as well as we can.
2: Right. And I think listening to your your Ted talk topics spoke to that really, really well and, and, and resonated with me because in these mountain communities where you have this interconnected tribe and you know, there's a lot of power in that right of community, but you also have people pushing the envelope and people die and, and that's hard, right? We've all had friends that we've lost and obviously existing on the scale that you exist on that's compounded exponentially. Right. Um, but I think, you know, Listening to you talk about embracing the fear, right, and using it yeah. constructively, I mean that's that's right. Your your quote, you know, um, you know, fear is the mind killer. That's that's pretty amazing. <laughs> I ripped that one off, by the way. That's actually Frank Herbert, from right? Dude, indeed, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. Not,
0: that's not mine. I wish I'd written it, but I didn't. Right. Um, yeah, but I, though, mean, I mean, fear and fear is a is a tool for sure, right? Like, as I driver and write about yeah well it's, it's a driver and it's a symptom right all the people who weren't afraid they didn't reproduce your ancestors are like oh look the edge of a cliff i'll just run along and play hopscotch there you know it didn't work out so hot so it's, it's a really good tool it's there for a reason it's it's what says hey you know heads up pay attention and in the mountains it's an especially important tool so if you're feeling that in the mountains and feeling fear there's there's probably a reason for it. And you need to address it and, and back it down or, or step away until you have a handle on what's going on. So I really listened to it. I don't feel like I conquer my fears so much as just learn to listen to them and then work through them. And I learned that when I did operate in that space, I tended to get bit off and chewed on hard by the universe. And, and I don't enjoy that experience. Right. It's, it's r- not fun. Well, and it's just not fun. You know, when you, when you when things go sideways because you haven't listened to that fear and addressed the problems, then it sucks. Yeah, you know, adrenaline is in small doses pretty good, but in big doses, it's actually a really shitty drug. Mm-hmm. Like when you <laughs> almost wreck your car on ice and you, and you feel sick and nauseous and you're not psyched, right? That's over adrenaline, right? Yeah. And, and uh, don't want that. A little right. bit of it is like that's spice, but the if you're operating in a place where you get the big hits and it's just not good,
2: right? You know? Yeah, and I think in your in your TED talk, you spoke to you know, when when things do go sideways it's because your attitude's
0: off or your approach hasn't been in, in the yeah. right place, right? Yeah, and, and and sometimes, you know, people have bad luck for sure. That just happens. And I've had good friends make really minor or maybe even no discernible mistake and it didn't work out for them and, and <clears throat> that's that's unfortunately part of the game we play. But usually there there's a, a, a chain of things that go wrong before a serious event in the mountains or anything in life, you know, in aviation, I fly also, and there's this accident chain, the, the plane didn't just run out of gas. It's like the person went out and got hammered the night before and didn't pay attention to the fuel up sheet and didn't balance things properly and got tired and then had a fight with his girlfriend on the phone on the way to the airport and wasn't paying attention. And there's like six or eight things. And then the plane ran, ran out of gas. And this is an important idea for the mountains too. It's like, usually there is a pretty good chain of things that went, wrong and understanding when you're entering into that chain and fear is a sign of that it's like okay something's not right here i shouldn't be afraid i'm on i'm not my local mountains i know what i'm doing here why oh it's really windy up high and my brain hasn't really clicked into the fact that there's a lot of transport going on and maybe i should be worried about the slopes something in there is chewing on it and i'm feeling that so figure out what it is and step it back down
2: right well i think it's cool you have such an analytical approach to that
0: Right. You know, it's what do you call it analytical? Because obviously I'm somewhat ADD and everything right, right. else, but it's, <laughs> I have to do this or else it doesn't work. Maybe I think for other people, they can just stay on top of this, but for me, I really have to think about it and dig into it, or I, I just can't deal with it.
2: Right, and you know, it seems like I think it seems that your analysis of these, you know, kind of risk, uh, risky sports, if you will, um, has probably evolved. Over your adult life, right? Yeah. Have you seen a, a change from the time you were, you know, gunning in your twenties to the time you are now with children? Right.
0: Yeah, I think I've always gone out my sports with a little bit more reserve, maybe, maybe than some of my friends. I'm not naturally super brave or, or very talented as an athlete, and and that's a, you know, some people are like, oh, but you do all this stuff. It's like I am obsessive and I train really hard, and and you know, I I always put everything i have into the day so i've, I've gotten decent at a few different sports not cuz i'm have much talent that's been proven over and over but i am obsessive but uh the idea of of maybe charging at various points in my life I, I don't think i ever really went at it in that way i i i always wanted to come back and and i'm not super brave and so i i charged harder maybe in my 20s but by my 20s, even then, I grew up in a mountain town and, and and grew up in a mountain community. And there were wakes. You know, I remember being like six years old. And it's like somebody pounded in and, and everybody's at my parents' house and, and getting hammered. And that made an impact on me. And so I, I, I always knew, very first person, that the mountains were hazardous and awesome. Like, they're awesome. Right. You know, and... and I love just being out in the mountains, doing about anything from going to a quick, for a quick ski, to paddling, to climbing, to flying, to hiking, to beating around the woods with my kids. I hunt. I mean, I'm just happy to be outside pretty much doing anything. Moving. Moving. Just go outside and do something. Right. And at the same time, that early education in the power of the mountains, positive and negative, also kind of reeled me back in a bit in my 20s. I was never just, ah, that's not true. Everybody hucks it sometimes. But... I found that when I was in that huckett space, things often tended to not work out so hot. Right. Yeah. You know, hold my beer, watch this is not the way to have a, <laughs> long, <laughs> a long go of it. Right? right.
2: It can be fun in the short term, though.
0: Yeah, you know, that's, that's really like for skateboarding, although I messed myself up skateboarding more than about anything else. That, you know, you got to kind of go for it there. But usually the costs are lower. Right. And, you know, in the mountains, the hold my beer, go for it mantra, the costs are really high if that doesn't work out. Right. And the rewards often aren't that much greater than they are in, in skateboarding. You get to drop in or whatever. And on the other hand, if the slope's no good, it's got consequences. Right. Yeah, and I thought it was
2: it was pretty rad last night in your talk. As Obviously, you have a Red Bull athlete who's highly respected in the community and looked up to and whatnot saying, I fail way more than I succeed.
0: Yeah, I'm a total failure.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Which I think is... is uh, You know, the humble nature of that is amazing, that you can actually have the constitution to speak to it unabashedly, but also, you know, the the sheer quantity of things you've done in your life,
0: adventure-wise, you know, if you look at it pragmatically, how much failure there's been, right? Yeah. Well, it's true. It's easy to speak. It's easier for me, anyhow, to speak the, the truth. I'm not making this up. I just had a year where I failed pretty much everything I tried to do. I did a big paragliding trip out in the plains, and I think we flew for like six hours, invested a lot of time and, and effort and everything it didn't work out um <laughs> yeah i had so many things like that this year right. and people remember the one or two successes of the year and not the ted failures or whatever that went into it and but that's you know that's just part of it and, and i and failing sucks i hate it i don't, it's not all of the new age kumbaya oh you know it's part of the game it's like watch a five-year-old walk off a field after a shitty soccer game you know they they know they lost and it sucks the trick is to turn that into something that educates you to do better in the future. Maybe it's not a positive in that, oh, we're all going to learn from this. It's like, why did we suck and how are we going to do better? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so for me, failures are, are really, um, they're tools. They, they whip me. It's like, I'm going to do better. I, I, I hate not succeeding. Right. At the same time, succeeding is, is also is always, always defined by coming back at the end of the day and, and being able to go again. Right. That's the number one definition of success to me.
2: Yeah. I thought it was really cool yesterday to sit down in the studio with the with Lindsay at at the radio station and, and you could see I think obviously what makes your your speaking and your presentation so powerful is that you you connect with people, right? And and they can there's no barrier there and they can relate to you. And so it was cool to see her go from, you know, radio host, hi, nice mm-hmm. to meet you to, you know, Leaning into the microphone <laughs> and, and a really personal Instagram post, and um you know it seems like you've you've kind of piped that into your storytelling, and that's why the mm-hmm. crowd I think
0: was so wrapped last night with attention and stoke, you know well they were they were just I think they were stoked you know? <laughs> yeah, there was I like talking to people, everybody's got something really cool that they're doing in life, whatever it is, and I like figuring that out and and over the years I've learned really. And I mean, I really mean this. It's not, it's like, we're all just here doing our thing and finding different ways to get our hair blown back every day and, and do the best for our kids and everything else that we have. that's important in our community. And yeah, so it's, we're all in the mix, man. Right. <laughs> nobody's special and, and nobody's also unspecial. Right. Everybody's worthy and, and. It's just great to figure out people and what's going on. Right. Everyone's fascinating on some level. Totally. Yeah. Everybody is like it's, everybody's got something going on and yeah. it's, it's always cool to just talk to people and figure out what it is.
2: So what's, what's, you know, what is a, a day in, in the life of Will Gad look like, so to speak. So not, not just, you know, your training and whatnot, but how you plan for these, you know, next expeditions and next um, endeavors, I should say. Right. Cause it's obvious that, you know, you're, your career has moved the needle to, to, to still do rad things, but you're obviously heavily involved in, you
0: know, television and, in, and science now it sounds like. Yeah. I mean, everybody's career evolves throughout life and I don't really have an average day and that's one thing that I like and that is also difficult to, to deal with. Um, I do travel a lot, so it's pretty typical to, to get on a plane and go somewhere, but I'm, you know, I have, I, am dad, exactly half time and and so i am at home being dad half the time and i love doing that and that's a constant in my life and then i just doing things with my kids and getting them outside that's a big constant the other big constant is just some kind of movement every day mm-hmm. and it doesn't have to be much like i can't go on skating with my kids that's that's my hour of being out there doing something but wherever i am and whatever's going on i try to do something you know yesterday got here and didn't sleep very well the night before and et cetera, et cetera. But I got hooked up um, by this great person, Shelley and went skate skiing in the woods here in Tahoe. And sun was out and the trees were those great trees you have here with the monster death cookie pine cones on the trail and stuff. <laughs> and it, I got this hour of just skating around in the woods and it was so great. And uh, I just, that's a real constant as well. And then there's all the business side of it as well. I spent a lot of time on the phone and doing emails and I'm less good at that. The, the, the ADD challenge of life is always there. <laughs> try to figure it all out and, and make it work. And it, everything has to be pushed forward. Nothing happens unless you you try. And again, over probably eighty percent of the things I I pitch or try to get rolling, they again, they just fail. Right, they don't work. You know, there's no money, or it's a bad idea, or something goes wrong or the person I'm going to go with, like hurts their knee playing Frisbee. And, you know, it's just like <laughs> most stuff, most stuff fails apart. So again, it's that, uh, that desire to get up and try again amidst near continual failure. <laughs> right. Which is pretty impressive for, I mean, cause
2: your trajectory has been college to Basically, you've
0: checked every box in the industry, right? <laughs> yeah, I've done a few different jobs, for sure. I was going to be a NAFTA lawyer, which, given current, the current situation with Trump, probably would have been a hell of a lot more lucrative than what <laughs> I'm doing now, for sure. But uh, yeah, having and then I worked in, in the magazine publishing side of the world back in the day and worked at, I was, rock, I was climbing magazine's first ever intern with, with Michael Kennedy. Oh, sick. Yeah, that was really cool. So it was neat to, and he inspired me a lot. He's definitely one of the people I regard as a mentor in my life. He worked hard and also did a lot of cool climbing, and I admired that. And, and then I ended up working there and then ended up um, editing at a couple of the different climbing and, and outdoor sports magazines and then general fitness and kind of had this full career rolling in publishing and then qualitative market research for big footwear companies mostly. And I was always doing these sports, like moving for a couple hours every day, going climbing. I still won some climbing competitions and stuff during that period but had a different career going on. And then I was turning 30, and I realized that I did not want to be 40 without having really given these mountain sports a go and whatever it took I was I was going to do it and so I quit my job and and uh did you know I painted houses I've done just about every mountain town job from I'm a shit carpenter and <laughs> you know I can run wires and plumb and, but yeah and then this all worked out but it was those skills that I learned in an odd way through working at magazines in terms of marketing and demographics and understanding how to sell what I was doing in a way that I could keep doing it that, that allowed me to do the job I do today.
2: Right. I thought it was awesome last night when, I mean, this speaks to such, you know, mountain, mountain town mentality where you spoke to your life or that previous life, right. And then getting into the X Games and wanting to, <laughs> wanting to compete there and, and, and you know, telling your your then wife, I believe. Yeah, and, uh, we're going. And she's on, awesome, by the way. <laughs> we're going on the road and we're living in a van, and, and, and then you, you know said, well, and that's a great way to become single. And I think most places in the world, people would kind of cringe at that, but yeah. our crowd was like, that was the biggest hooting and hollering of the night. You know, it was super, super uh, rad. Uh, that was fun. <laughs> I mean, in that TED talk, you talk a lot about harnessing that that danger, right, or that mm. fear. How's that changed over your career? Or has it been consistent?
0: Yeah, I I don't really enjoy danger or randomness and fear. For me, fear is a sign that my competence level is is low. Again, it's I don't really know what I'm doing, and I need to slow it down. And when I'm trying to act all confident on a low level of competence, then generally I get my ass handed to me. And that's that YouTube moment again, you know? So there's always some... Sixteen-year-old kid that has got a very high confidence level and a very low competence level, and and mayhem ensues. Right? (laughs) There's crashes and everything else. Thank God for those kids, and I hope they're all okay. But I I don't like being in that place. What turns me on is figuring out how to do difficult things well. Like you know, how do how do we go into this environment and and make a film and climb something cool and and use all the physical training and and come back in one piece? And that's really complicated. And, and interesting and trying to understand this environment that's changing really fast and and get in there and and do something cool that's that's really difficult for me anyhow i mean and and I love that so it's not really about just hucking yourself it's doing cool things at a high level and bringing everybody back safe that's what's cool and, and any project if you're publishing a magazine it's like it's complicated it's got a lot of moving parts and how do you put those parts away and and together in a way that results in a good magazine and and I, or, or a film and and how do you get the money? And these are like difficult things and doing it well is, is cool. And that's what's interesting to me. Right. Not just the hawk. And for whatever reason, as soon as I've done something, I kind of lose all interest in it. It's, it's okay. Well, what did I learn? What could I do next? And I don't spend a lot of time looking in the rear view mirror athletically. terms of my life I do you know I've made a lot of errors and haven't always been the best human and I screw up a lot and so I spent a lot of time ruminating about that and trying to not be as much of a dick in the next 10 years but (laughs) yeah move it forward Mm -hmm. right
2: yeah I think it's uh and I think that's that's a really uh compelling thing about you is obviously you you're open with who you are and what you do and and uh you know the ability to to self-analyze in that regard and you know look at these sports in a bigger scope of just being a sport. But instead mm. of, it's a basically these things that we do in the mountains are
0: instructional tools that can be a metaphor for life, right? Yeah, they're instructional tools and they're, they're hugely validating in a lot of ways for, especially for kids like me that are needing high stimulus and maybe not getting that through school. And, but everybody turns into a better person outdoors, you know? Like I don't know anybody that doesn't go outside and, and start functioning better. And yet we lock our kids up in schools and don't let them play outside. And and we lock ourselves up and don't go outside. I I see this all the time. I do all kinds of different events and and so on. And people show up and they're all stressed out. And and then we go outside and they turn into these great people. And they're better humans. We all are. So maybe the solution to world peace and, and everything is not all this extra layering of civilization, but just everybody's gotta go outside for an hour a day. And everybody would mellow out if that happened. (laughs) (laughs) Totally, right? I don't see trail rage very often. You know, like you know you look at the average expression as you drive on the on the freeway in LA or something, people are not like they are not stoked. Then you're out skiing, everybody's like, hey hi, how you doing? (laughs) You know they're psyched. So I I think the maybe the mountains aren't really the, the kind of metaphor it's like maybe they're more the solution it's a crazy juxtaposition that we put ourselves in right yeah and and over and over there's so much research now that's coming out about how our brains are formed by what we do and and our phones you know i'm as bad as anybody but our phones turn us into these kind of turn normal people's brains into add brains Mm -hmm. (laughs) and and then turn brains like mine into chaos so you have to go outside (laughs) and, and do things that reset yourself and find those tools to, to make your life work. Yeah. These types of conversations,
2: I think are really, are really cool for me and to watch the, the winter film series evolve and then springboard this concept where someone of, you know, your nature comes to town and we get to show you around and I I'd ideally take you. Skiing. Thank you, by the way, this has been awesome. Oh, it's been so fun. And then have you give the community a show, but it's, it's funny how these, these mountain pursuits are, we're all pretty similar people, I think. Mm-hmm. Obviously, a very shared passion. But I think it's been really cool to see, you know, the connectedness. Right? Yeah. You can come here for a day and a half, and we'll stay in touch forever. Right? Yeah. In I'll the, see you on the trade show floor or wherever. Yeah. Be like, Yo.
0: High yeah, high fives for life. <clears> and um, excuse me, you're really right about the, the global tribe of mountain people, and and it extends in surprising ways all over the world. You know, you see somebody, and you're in the Santiago airport, and there's somebody there with like a paraglider bag. And you're like, oh, we're into the same thing, and, and you know that person, and you know you're like, you can go up and talk to them, and it doesn't matter who they are or whatever. There's it's it, it is a global community, and I think that is missing today in a lot of ways in our lives. We used to have it with church, and and I'm not religious, but I recognize the strong community that a church often engenders. Right? This is your crew, and it's hard to find that today. And now with the mountain sports, for me, that is my community. Those, these are the people that I trust and, and love and drive me batshit. And, and it's all my community and, and they're all over the world. And I love that. I can drop in here and go out and ski with somebody or climb with somebody. And, and I love that. And I hope my kids get that. That's a cool thing to have in life. Yeah,
2: it's pretty special. Yeah,
0: it's a global community. Yeah. And, and you, you assume the best of people in this community. Yeah. Because I think like what we were talking about last night, people are... Basically good. Yeah. People, most people are, you know, and I've got two daughters I'm trying to educate them about the world. And and I do believe that 99 point, you know, what was the Trump line? Some of them I assume are good people. I hated that line Mm -hmm. because most people are really good. Yeah. It doesn't, doesn't matter where they come from or what's going on. Most of them are really good. I've been in so many situations in the world where if people were bad, I'd be dead. And, and it's just not that way. Right. The world's an awesome place and full of great people and, and. The mountain community is certainly part of that as well. Yeah, and I think it gets a little esoteric. But you know, yeah. when I
2: talk to sponsors or other athletes right. that we're trying to get to come to the series, is I don't, I don't hide the fact that I think when you, when you bottle that vibe and that feeling in a room, that that can be an advocate for positive change in the world, right?
0: Hmm. Yeah, I think
2: so. But how do you, how do you magnify that? Right? How's the mountain community that is tremendously, you know, driven in athletic pursuits. How do you bottle that? Or do you even want to bottle that, you know?
0: Um, Well, I think you do want to spread it. Like, I do think those of us who have been involved in the mountain community and, and maybe make a living off, but we do owe that community something. You know, like, I don't have a job. If somebody doesn't walk in and buy a pair of, like, gloves, I don't have a job. So I owe that person something, my 0.01 cents in those gloves or whatever. I owe them as human beings more than the economics of it. But as being part of that community, you know, I try to teach a lot of clinics. I do write books and and articles that I hope give people different ways to look at things. And, you know, if somebody sends me an email, I'm going to respond. So if somebody listens to this one has a question, send me an email. I will get back to you because I also owe a debt to all the people who taught me how to do these sports. You know, in high school with kayaking, that was my first real serious sport of my own, I'd get home from school and I would I had a huge list taped to the wall of all the paddlers in Jasper, Alberta. And I'd call the first person in the list and I'd work my way down. And if nobody, you know, would go paddling with me, I'd start at the top of the list. I'd go all the way down. And eventually somebody would be like, somebody take the Labrador out and throw the ball for a while and I'd, somebody would take me out paddling. But it, it, that huge list of people who helped me is really important. And, and I want to give... Back, it's a debt you got to pay off. It's awesome that you feel that way. Yeah, I don't get to do what I do without the outdoor community, right? Like, for sure. So I better get back to it.
2: Yeah, and you know, I that's fun.
0: It's not like it's a tour, right? Like teaching people how to ice clap. This is fun. Yeah,
2: so fun. <laughs> I like it. You know, you spoke to some of it last night, but your how have your your mentors? Who have your mentors been, and how have they kind of shaped your trajectory as an athlete and human?
0: The cats are attacking if you hear that there's noise a, in the background. I'm i cat riot going on. Yeah, there's something, something <laughs> going on up there. But uh, I think probably my parents were my first mentors in the mountains, and they took me out from a very early age, and a lot of what I learned wasn't obvious. When it's minus 30 in the Canadian Rockies and you're outside, you learn how to keep your gloves dry. You learn how to dress. And these are really important skills that I think, more than anything else, gave me a leg up maybe on some of the other people in, in life. I just knew how to deal with the cold. I knew how to walk in snow. I mean, these are really basic skills, but they were given to me by my parents at a very early age. And I still see that. I spend some time teaching the military how to walk around in the snow. And, and I like it, because you can take these guys who don't know how to walk in the snow and, and bump them up a level really fast. I was lucky I got that when I was young. And then throughout life, there's been people who at various times took, took an interest and made an effort. And I wasn't always an easy kid, you know. I was basically looking for a lot of stimulation and and sometimes that wasn't positive stimulation. I knew the local police a little too well growing up because, uh uh-oh, they're going to the cats. I don't know if that's coming through your headphones over there or not. Yeah, We're still here. We didn't get taken out by the cat tribe (laughs) coming down the stairs there. But uh, these people would take me out and take me into the mountains and do stuff with me and from my, my dad to other people. And then some... And also some teachers in school who are like, "Don't be an ass, you know. At least show up for the test. You know, you you, you don't. I know. I know you're not going to study, but just show up and pass. so You get out of high school and you can go on and do other things. And some some key interactions with people. Everybody has those in in life, and it's luck again whether you get those at the right time or not. Yeah, yeah. And then so many people who just put time into me, and I, I appreciate that. Right.
2: Yeah, it's pretty. I think we're all and i think everyone in that in kind of the mountain tribe has had that experience right where yeah you've you've been lucky enough to not only live through playing in the mountains but to have really great people
0: in your life along the way right yeah there's there's people out there that taught me how to climb really basic things you know in high school I had a climbing program and and learned how to belay properly and i know that's made a huge difference in my life and it, you know, as, a, as I said last night, there's a craft to all of this. And you learn both the philosophy of these sports and then the, the craft of actually doing them. And it's super important. If you want to be a skier, you'd better learn how snow works and why and what different layers mean in a snowpack. And if you don't know that, then you're as uneducated as me trying to work on your car. I'm going to mess that up. No, I can work, it's a basic car, I can work on it, but it's a craft, you know, you got to know how to do that. You, if a plumber showed up and didn't know which way to turn the thread on a pipe, you'd be kind of like, you'd be thinking the guy was pretty much an idiot, but there's a lot of people out there in the mountains who don't understand what radical changes in layering and the snow mean and why that's relevant to them. And I, and I, I think that's pretty inexcusable. Mm-hmm. You got to educate yourself. Yeah. So anyhow, but mentors are super important, both for the craft and for the philosophy You know, Jeff Lowe is a big mentor of mine and I don't think he necessarily knows that, but I just watched what he did with his life. He kept reinventing um, through interest. It wasn't like he was like, I've got to reinvent myself. He was like, this is cool. What can can we do with this? And that really inspired me. Yeah, I like doing that. Yeah, what a special human, Jesus. Yeah, that guy's rad. Like, you know, I'm in touch with him. I'm actually writing a biography right now about Jeff. And uh, yeah, he's an amazing individual. You know, I, I flew down was it five or six years ago, um, to Utah and, and met with him because everybody said he was, he was on death's door. And he's like, yeah, I've been put on hospice care and they've given me like two months at the outside. And here it is, what, five years later, and <laughs> he's still going. But this is what he did with his entire life is he totally reinvented different ways to look at things and, and survive in situations that, you know, the sheer indignity of, of, and the assault on your person of, of being in a wheelchair with very little control over your, your whole systems, like, that's really hard. That would kill me, I think. I don't think I could bear it. But Jeff, he's just like, all right, how do we make this work? And and I really admire that.
2: Yeah. I mean, it's, I had I, only read about him
0: and then to see him at OR. You yeah. Know. And still giving back, showing up and, and giving talks through his iPad and this irrational optimism that, that Jeff has is, is, is amazing. It's stunning. Right. And his sense of humor is, is fully switched to odd. You know, he's joking about his, yeah, he's just, people like that inspire the hell out of me. And, yeah. And, uh, the mountain community is, is full of them. You know, I look at your wall of books here in this room, there's this huge wall of books and it's like, I recognize many of the books on there. Um, they're, they're important books to, to all of us. And you've got your collection of alpinists out there. And if I, even if I weren't, even if you weren't here and I walked into your house, they'd be like, all right, I know what's going on here. (laughs) We've got (laughs) something to talk about. Right. Yeah. You're going to have to explain a few things up there about, about those books. But uh, overall,
2: (laughs) everyone, everyone asks about the Fountainhead and everyone, everyone asks about the Bible. It's pretty
0: funny. Yeah, well, those two I get. You know, Ayn Rand, you got to go through your Ayn Rand stage in life. And and unfortunately, some people don't grow out of it. But it's <laughs> just <she's> got some <laughs> neat ideas. I grew out of it for the record. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you know, The monologues in there will kill you. Yeah. But, uh, but Fountainhead's better than that. Well, anyhow. But yeah, lots going on on that shelf. And, and yeah. it, it does speak to our yeah our community. And and I can recognize it and go, right. <laughs> yeah, In the Ayn Rand book, that's integral. Everybody has to read that book. Yeah, I think so. The Death of Ivan Illich, I mean, you know, there's you're saying a lot on this bookshelf.
2: Yeah, it's kind of a window to, to your soul when you look at someone's bookshelf.
0: Yeah, and then there, I can tell that there's different sides to it. I don't think the Dance World books are probably yours. Um, just don't tell anyone. Yeah, <laughs> there's, <laughs> there's a division here, I'm yeah. seeing. <laughs> yeah.
2: But I want to circle back to, to one one more thing, you know, and I think Jeff Lowe is a really great example
0: of this i mean you talked a lot about the positive power of negative thinking right yeah that's how you phrase it <clears throat> yeah well there's this everybody's all fired up on the positive power of positive thinking and, and this is great but in the mountains i found the positive power of negative thinking to be much more useful and this idea of this buddhist idea of seeing things as they are that's really important to me and and expecting change not expecting things to be the same expecting everything to go sideways and to some extent when you when you go out the door in the morning and it, it just being flexible and responsive rather than rigid and expecting the world to adapt to you, it's not. You're just, you're dust. And, and in the mountains, you got to pay attention to that and figure out the right place to be at the right time. And then you can do beautiful things. But if you don't have that basic understanding that you're really fragile, you're dealing with big forces, and you have to be in the right place or you will get chewed on, then it goes sideways. So... Some yeah. people are like, to quote Ice-T, ice, ice to you said, some people call me negative, but they're not positive. Right. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's, it, 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 I am kind of negative about this stuff, but it allows me to do really positive things. Yeah. Which I think is,
2: is awesome to have the, the mindset to be able to view it in that capacity, right?
0: Yeah. Well, you'll learn that fast in the mountains. It doesn't matter who you are or who you think you are. It's, the mountains are... They're going to win. Mm-hmm. They always win. They're beautiful and unforgiving. Yeah. Well, it's not even a concept of forgiveness or, or anything or a gratitude or anything that we apply, these little constructs we use. They're just mountains and they're doing their thing and you best not be in the way when they do it. Then find that line that's magic. Yeah. And whether it's on skis or in a boat or flying in the sky or climbing, it's all the same path through these monumental forces and, and that's rad. Yeah. It's intellectually... For me, super fascinating. Mm-hmm. How do you deal with it? Where is it? What does it look like? And how do you, as Jeff Lowe so often did, how do you find this special thing that maybe other people haven't seen?
2: That's cool. Super cool. Like,
0: hmm. uh, let's go. Let's go down there and do that. <laughs> so, what's next for you? Well, tell um, me about the glacier project. Yeah, I got a cool project going on right now. On it's basically a climate change project, and what I want to do is use some of the skills that I've developed over the years and my own interest in in ice, and tell a little bit of a climate change story using ice. And everywhere I go in the world, people are like, oh, you shouldn't have been here 20 years ago. This whole lake used to freeze up, and now people are like water skiing on it in October, and it's like, hey, this used to all freeze up. And I see the effects because of my sport of, of climate change maybe in ways that other people don't. I'm a guide also, so I'm out in the mountains, and many of the places I used to just march up, I don't even go there anymore. The glaciers are not functional in the same way, and they're retreating very quickly. Areas that used to fill up with snow in the winter don't anymore in the same way. So what I'm doing is, is a bunch of TV projects based around that, and the one I'm working on in a couple of weeks, we're going under the surface of the Athabasca glacier to try and follow the path of the meltwater from this big Mulan out to the toe of the glacier, and then measure the thickness of the ice vertically, which is pretty hard to do. And we're taking a really interesting glaciologist. He doesn't climb much. I don't really know if he knows what he's getting into, but that's, that's my job as a guide is to get him through it. And we're going to go and work on that project and then also going to Greenland next year and continuing a version of that project there. Right, where they're building skate parks in the winter. Yeah, well, that was crazy. I was in, in sort of mid-central Greenland a couple of years ago and these kids are building skateboard parks. And yeah, you know, I walk out and I'm like, what are you guys doing? They're like, well, we used to only get two months really where we could skateboard, but now we get like four or five. And they're psyched. They don't really see that there's a problem here. They're psyched. They get to build skateboard parks and, and ramps and they're, they're fired up. You know? And, I, and I, I did that when I was a kid too in Canada and it wasn't a super long season. And now they're doing this in Greenland. And there's both, to me, that's optimistic and, and something I've been thinking a lot about. It's like there will be opportunities as, as climate change happens. And mobility and embracing those opportunities will be very important. I think we've probably screwed the world up to a point where it's going to change radically. I'm not an optimist about it, especially with the current political climate. And I don't think people change until they get hit in the head with a two-by-four. I certainly don't. So (laughs) I can't expect the world to embrace these intellectual concepts of carbon and and reducing that. I, I hope people get it and we make a few token efforts. Great. But we're going to have, I think, pretty radical change within our lifetimes. And so those kids building skateboard parks are, on a fun level, you know, that's cool, but also that is probably the approach we're going to have to take. Where I live this year, for the first time in my lifetime, there was no ice climbing at valley level. There just wasn't. And I've never seen that in in my almost 50 years on the planet, and the older people where I live haven't either. So we're going to have to change. If we want to go ice climbing, we're going to have to go up. If you're a farmer in Eastern Africa, things have changed and what are you going to do? And I don't think this, it, it, it's going to require in my view and, and some other people that I'm talking with about this project, it's going to require mobility and adaptability and that's going to take resources. Yeah. It's, it's, we can't just assume things are going to be the same.
2: Cause they're going to change. Well, they, they are they, changing.
0: They, they are changing and people are trying to hold on right now and say, Oh, they're not. And, you know, the snow is going to come back. Well, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. Maybe it's going to come back in terms of snow depths of 50 feet per winter. Maybe there's going to be no snow, but I am sure it's going to change pretty radically. And I want to be like those kids in Greenland and find out the ways to make it work and and move with that.
2: Well, maybe that's a great segue to bottling that mountain power, right? That the community... The, the power of the mountain community, that those can be tangible difference makers where we can direct our
0: energy, right? Yeah, or at least recognize the change. And, and if, as mountain people, if the snow levels go up dramatically as they have most acro- across most of Europe in the last 20 years and, and North America as well, it just doesn't snow as low as it used to on average, then how are you going to deal with that? Well, you've got to find higher altitude places or places farther north if you want to go skiing as much as you did in the past. And that's, that both sucks, but it sucks less than, again, the farmer who's not getting the rain. Right. We're just going to move. It's first you know? world sucking. Versus- it's first world sucking. And then as, as this change gets going, I'm, I'm fairly certain it's going to be a radical change in our lives. So it's a good day to go out and go skiing and have a good time because right now we have tremendous economic freedom and political freedom notwithstanding recent events here in the u.s it's still pretty darn good and it'd be a great day to go for a ski because who knows what's going to happen in life better go right make it make it special yeah every day it's like we're really lucky man better go outside like having another thousand bucks in the bank account probably isn't going to matter that much long term going outside for a ski that's a good thing (laughs) it's a huge thing right
2: yeah well i think i think um That climate change story was very powerful to see
0: the change in the African glaciers on Kilimanjaro, the show, right? Um, Yeah, and that that change for me as I show up and and glaciers that used to be hundreds of meters thick aren't there. That's really obvious change. It's a problem. It's a problem, but it's a bigger problem for the people who live in, in Kenya and the other surrounding countries that aren't getting the moisture that they used to get. They used to get two wet seasons there. They only get one now. And then occasionally they'll get a good second wet season and it'll be like, great, but if you're a Maasai person, your life is going to change really radically, I think. And I I hope it doesn't. Static would be nice, but I I don't think it's going to be that way. It just doesn't (laughs) seem the way of the world.
2: No. Change
0: is is reliably consistent. Yeah, that's the thing you should wake up in the morning and be like, it's all going to be different. And again, maybe that sounds pessimistic, but it's also if you embrace that, then I think long-term that's going to be healthier.
2: Yeah. Well, I was psyched to to see that in your show last night, and I was also psyched to see what you could do flying freaking lawn furniture (laughs) across the the damn country. Right on, man. Well, thanks for going along with us, and um, we appreciate the willingness to to think outside the box and not talk about the, the routine stuff, so thank you.
0: This has been really fun talking with you, and we'll flip the tables around, and I'll interview you and, and how you came to be running one of the premier outdoor shops in, in the United States and a leader in this community, because you are, man. What you created last night was rad.
1: This episode of Afterglow with Will Gab was recorded in December of 2016 at the Pink Palace Recording Studio on the west shore of Lake Tahoe. If you like our conversations, please do us a solid and review this show. Our producers are myself and Kristen Hanna. This episode was edited by Kristen Hanna and Luke Funichella. Luke is also our sound ninja and musician. Check him out on Bandcamp to hear more. Episode 3 of Afterglow also marks the first appearance of George, our house cat. Be sure to check out our next episode with Brendan Lennon author of 60 Meters to Anywhere, and founder of Semirad.com. The episode drops on Friday, December 22nd.
2: You know, even though I've listened to hip-hop my entire life, that I I was pronouncing uh, Jay-Z wrong, that it's technically pronounced J-Z. It's a Canadian pronunciation. And bouncy. (laughs) Yeah, that was
0: fun. (laughs) You just joke around. That's awesome. That's the Canadian pronunciation of, of of those two things.